What is the quickest way to alleviate high blood pressure? Obviously, other than eating a healthy diet. Eating a healthy diet and, you know, you're taking away because if you eat sugar, it's going to go up. You do caffeine, it's going to go up. Take away all those things and you'll come down. Get rid of your caffeine, get rid of your perfumes, get rid of your sugar, and then you're going to be astounded at how fast your blood pressure comes down. Hello, and welcome back to the Your Great Podcast with your host, Unique Hammond. Today, I had the pleasure of sitting down with biochemist, holistic nutritionist, Karen Hurd, mentor, friend, savior. As you know, she instilled me with the tools to heal myself. And although my path was not easy, the outcome is still the outcome, which is every day I get to wake up in a whole, healthy body. I recognize that we are all on our own path, and I am very thankful every day that this was my outcome. Today we discuss genetics, epigenetics, diet and lifestyle choices. We also get to a little Q&A at the end. I hop around a lot, so stick with me as we had a limited amount of time, and to maximize the time I had with Karen, I did a little jumping around. I also wanted to add that Karen and I discussed vitamin D, or also known as hormone D, and she has expressed strong views on hormone D, or vitamin D, taken in high quantities and her concern with potential cancer. I've done a lot of researching on Google Scholar. It's hard to find anything negative. Most peer-reviewed studies are showing positive results. And whenever you see something like that, you always wonder, well, what is the flip side? And is anybody tracking for potential downsides to this, what appears to be a miracle supplement or miracle hormone? But as we know, the human body is an incredibly delicate balance. So are we missing something? I think the most amazing part about science is that Everybody acknowledges that this is the best we know right now. What I love about Karen is her constant curiosity into not accepting the status quo, but challenging it. And I believe that that is science at its best. I did find an interesting study um, on prostate cancer where they showed both high and low vitamin D as a possible supporter of cancer, prostate cancer. So there is something there. I will go ahead and link that study. Karen did write a paper on vitamin D levels in cancer. Please feel free to reach out to me if you'd like to read her study. All of her opinions are her own. I am just simply here poking around, looking for information. I personally do not supplement my vitamin D. I am at a 25. I've been there for a long time. I'm very vocal about the fact that I am Northern European, um, I don't eat a lot of fish. I do try to get outdoors. I don't feel comfortable personally supplementing it, even though I've seen how safe it is from the peer-reviewed studies at high levels. I tend to be a, a bit cautious with my own health these days. And supplementing, as you know, I don't supplement. I do take a protein powder, however, which would be considered a supplement. So there's that. Anyway, I hope you enjoy my conversation with Karen. And as always, do your research and do ultimately what feels right for you. I do always recommend getting blood work to see where your levels are at. And that is the best way to supplement. Just taking stuff willy-nilly is not a good idea for anybody because supplements are powerful. 
Karen, welcome back to your great. Excited to see you today. How are you? I am well, thank you. How are you? I'm well, and I am excited to talk about genetics, epigenetics, what, how what we eat does or does not affect the possibility of pulling epigenetic factors. So let's start with genetics. Genetics 101. Okay, genetics 101. Well, we have DNA. It is a, looks like a ladder. She looked at it under, you know, high speed, very powerful microscopes. It's our, it's a long, long, long strand of code that tells the body what to do. And this is all twisted up and compacted. And you have chromosomes, one on in different arms of the chromosomes. And but what's important to know about our DNA is that it controls everything, everything that's going to happen to you, every tendency that you have, everything is controlled by the DNA. It is a computer code that runs us. Now, the DNA is contained in every single cell, a full copy of your entire DNA. If you stretched it all out, it'd go for miles, okay? It's very, very long. A full copy of every person's DNA is retained in every cell in your body, with the exception of neurons, which are brain cells, and red blood cells. They do not have a copy of your DNA, but everything else does. So a skin cell, a liver cell, a kidney cell has a full copy of your DNA. Cells have a certain lifespan. In the case of neurons, they don't have a lifespan. They never reproduce. They are just, when they die, they're gone. And so hopefully you don't damage them because if you do, that's why, you know, people used to sniff glue or sniff gasoline, do different drugs. So you are destroying brain cells. That's, I mean, we can get a whole cannabis issue if you want, but that is destruction of brain cells. If they're done and gone, you cannot get another one. If you destroy a kidney cell, you'll make a new kidney cell. You destroy a liver cell, you make new liver cells. Those things can regenerate. But we can't do that with the brain. So, Is that true for every organ in the endocrine system that whether it's pancreas or liver, they all can regenerate? Yeah, it is. You will regenerate your adrenal gland cells. You will regenerate regenerate pancreatic cells, all the rest of them will be regenerated as one cell dies, then it will be replaced by another. And how that process happens is that inside each cell, there's, well, let's talk about the cell structure so you understand how important this is. There's a cell structure, just think of it as a circle. They're not necessarily circles. It could be oblong, they can be many different shapes. And it's encased in what's called the plasma membrane. The plasma membrane is what we refer to human cells or animal cells. In plants, we call it a cell wall, but it's a wall. And then this, this wall or this plasma membrane prohibits certain things from entering the cell and also exiting the cell, but most importantly, entering the cell. You have to have a doorway. You can't just, any old little piece of chemical whatever can't just enter into a cell. It has to go through a doorway. It has to be invited, except for very, very, very small things that can walk through the wall. And those ought to be top things to avoid. I will mention some of those things that are, they're called nuclear receptors. Well, with this wall that's protecting us from many things, and you have to have doorways to get through, what happens is that once something enters into the cell, there is a cytoplasm. 
And so this is a free space full of a type of fluid where the organelles of the cell are found. And we have all kinds of different little organelles. There's the, the mitochondria, and then there's the, the, the reculum, and then there's the all kinds of little different parts. We have lots of parts, but one of the major parts is inside, deep inside the cell, in the cytoplasm, there's something called the nuclear envelope. Inside the nuclear envelope, by the way, it's protected by a wall also. So now you've got another inner wall because inside this nuclear envelope is your DNA and it is protected, doubly protected by the cell wall on the outside, the plasma membrane and the nuclear envelope. And it has an even stricter access code to make it inside the nuclear envelope. Very, very few things will go through the nuclear pores. That's what they're called, nuclear pores. And you have to be of certain chemical construction. It can only be a certain way, unless you're a nuclear receptor. If you're a nuclear receptor, they are so, so tiny little molecules. They can just walk right through the plasma membrane, walk right through the nuclear wall that, that okay. keeps that DNA protected. And the DNA is protected because if the DNA is it's so well protected, it's because if the DNA becomes damaged, we do have six major systems that will go in and repair the DNA. But if you start swapping out different nucleotides, these are little tiny chemical molecules that are making up the construct of the DNA that is carrying this, this whole computer code. If you mess up the code, you can be in big trouble. That's how cancer occurs. Cancer is a mutation of the DNA. And depending on where the mutation on the DNA is, that is random where the damage is going to be when you have a nuclear receptor attached to the DNA will actually scramble. We have these nucleotides, they're called A and T and G. And anyway, they're, they're different names. Makes it stand for like glonoside and different things. But if you scramble that code, that means when that cell reproduces, that DNA damage will be carried to the new cell. So the new cell is already damaged. That's why it's so important to protect your DNA. So now we understand the importance of DNA. And there is a time in each cell's life that it will die. It's supposed to die. We all have, there's different cell lives for different things. Bone cells live about two years. Gastrointestinal cells, three days. Endocrine system cells, three months. Every, everybody has a cell life. And when this cell is about to die, it's going to be a need to be replaced by another cell. So it's going to have the DNA will actually be copied. It's called a transcription process. And the DNA to make a new cell, well, you've got to have a copy of the old cell. Old cell's dying, so you've got to have a, got to have a computer code, you know, so that we can build a new cell. And so the DNA is copied through the transcription process. And that just means, okay, well, we have the DNA copied. But what about making the rest of the cell? There's the DNA. There's a copy of that. But you have to actually make all the components of the cell, the mitochondria, the endoplasmic reculum. You have all of the OGs, that, you know, the Golgi apparatus that you have to do. And all of that has to be done. So how are we going to do that? And, then to, and, and all this is put together in such a way that tells the cell, you are a kidney cell. You are an adrenal cell. You are a bone cell. You are whatever the, the cell is. And it's put together very specifically for what we are going to be making a new cell. 
once the DNA is transcribed, then we have to make the new cell. And that is done through the translation process. The DNA is saying, okay, we have a sequence here of these particular genetic components, and they're actually made of proteins. They're all proteins. This is really important to understand. They're all proteins. And so we need a messenger RNA, which is a, a cell that's going to say, okay, DNA says do this, this, and this. So I have to put my proteins together in this order. And so I need to go, okay, I have this combination of the nucleotides, nucleosides, nucleotides. And then we're going to go through and we're going to grab an alanine or we're going to grab a tryptophan or whatever. We have 21 amino acids. And it's the DNA is telling you what order to bring in and the mRNA is going around and then grabbing a protein molecule, one of those 21. And it has to do it in exactly the order that the DNA says to do it. Mm -hmm. And then you have a long, long strings, big, long, long strings of these amino acids all running together. And in the order that they're put together, the amino acids, they have different electronic charges they are they're they're polar which means that they will re repel or attract a certain order and the way they're put together you might have an alanine that's pulling on a tryptophan and then it will make the protein long string fold in a certain way because they're pulling or repelling each other and so then this long long set of proteins then all fold into a very specific shape and that shape is what tells the cell what it is mm. because there's little receptor sites, there's little notches in the shape and there's little active sites that that's what we call them active sites where it can receive a charged particle, which will make it, which makes it change shape, just sort of do a little twist. It, it, that's the easiest way to say it just goes from a relaxed state to a taunt state. And so then it will react. And so then it can do its job. Mm. So, when we, it's an incredible process, and we have pictures of these proteins, by the way, we can see them, they're crystallized, and we can see the protein and how they're folded, and we can see the, the active sites and the dormant sites, and, you know, and that every single cell, every single protein cell that's making up this particular enzyme or this particular cell, it has identical shape. Mm. So then it can do its job. If the DNA was damaged somewhere along the line, then that means that protein will not be able to be put together in the right shape. Mm. And so then it can create a problem, which means it's basically what happens. The cell can't do its job. It's not folded right. It's not put together right because you had some rogue protein put in here. Because why? Because your DNA, there's codon, there's a sequence of these three, these three nuclei, nucleotides and that they have to be in that right order. So in the wrong order, then you're going to get another protein coming in, you're going to get a methionine when you were supposed to have an alanine, whatever, or proline. And so then it's all out of order. And so then the cell can't do its job. And if you have, what's worse is in cancer, and this is what happens in cancer, is if the DNA is damaged to the place because there's a stop codon, these are these three nucleotides together produce a codon that's giving the code to have the translation of the protein to be put in the right order so it all folds correctly. If you have messed with the stop codon, that's what says stop reproducing. 
done, cell, we're done. Okay, the whole DNA, it's been replicated, it's all done. Stop making proteins in cancer. The stop protein has been altered, so there is no stop. So it just keeps reproducing, reproducing, mm. reproducing, 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 and then there's never any stop. And that's what a tumor is all about. Is the is damaged DNA always result in cancer or tumor, or can it be damaged and not result in like and not progress to a tumor or a cancer and just be damaged? The latter. Oh, the latter. So okay. you can be damaged, and it means then something else is not going to function. You know that you're supposed to be metabolizing a certain enzyme, and now you can't do it because the cell is damaged. It doesn't mean you have cancer. It just means that. We are having a dysfunction, but cancer is a subset of these dysfunctions. It's one of the dysfunctions is that you have damaged the stop codon. So it just keeps reproducing. See, cancer doesn't, it's not releasing some poison that's killing your liver. If you have liver cancer, lung cancer, whatever it is, it's just that you have this growth that doesn't stop and it just keeps growing and growing and the little parts of it break off and go to other parts of the body and it grows there and it crowds out the function your liver or your lungs. I mean, you know, when you have a tumor in your lungs, why are you dying? Is the tumor emitting some poison? And you just, no, it's taking up all your lung space until your lung can't function anymore because there's this massive thing there that, you know, that's just growing like crazy. That's what cancer is. So if cells all contain protein and you can only get protein from your diet, is that one of the reasons why protein is so vital to our health? And in the case of a damaged DNA where it is becoming a tumor or it is becoming a cancer, is stopping protein? It's not need? helpful. It doesn't because help. Okay, It's not helpful because to be able to go through repairing the DNA, because the body has six major repair systems, it's like, whoa. This codon is out of order. We have an A and a T and a C and a G, and that's supposed to be flipped around, you know? And so they'll go through and they will excise, they'll cut it out and put in the right, the right nucleotide and we'll fix it. But to be able to run the DNA repair system, you have to be able to make those molecules to do it. And those molecules are made out of proteins. Every bit of us is made out of a protein. And so we have nine essential amino acids. Amino acid is a protein, okay? Of the 21, nine are essential. That means if you don't eat it, you won't make it. So what happens to the protein in the cells if you don't eat it? Then the cells don't get made. Oh, interesting. So they die. Mm -hmm. They die and they're not replaced. Mm. What does that lead to? It leads to failure of, you know, if it goes on for an extended length of time, then it leads to failure of all organ systems. Mm-hmm. And that's called starvation. Mm-hmm. I, mean, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, if if you don't have anything to eat, you just have water, you will die of lack of water in seven days. In seven days, you're, if you don't have any water at all, now I'm talking about not getting any food, any water, okay? Mm-hmm. You nothing, you're ingesting nothing. In seven days, approximately seven days, you'll die of dehydration. What if you just eat plants? And there if, are protein elements in plants. If you just eat plants, will your body get clever enough to try to cleave enough protein elements from plants to so that it, like in a survival mode? Or does that ultimately run out at some point as well? Let's just say you're eating just- It ultimately go- runs out. Okay. Because the nine essential amino acids 
you can't find all nine of them in one plant source. Right. So that means, okay, well, then I have to combine something. Okay, so I'm going to get the tryptophan from over here and the methionine from over here because those are two of the essential amino acids, methionine mm -hmm. and tryptophan. So I'll get it, you know, I'll do beans and rice because then I can get those two because each one of those is missing an essential amino acid. And so I'll eat them together. But what we fail to recognize, people who do the vegetarian diet and they're combining to get a complete protein, a complete protein has all essential amino acids. And when we're combining them, the problem is it may not be in the right ratio. Maybe you have a lot of tryptophan Mm -hmm. And you had a little bit of methionine. And mm -hmm. so you're able to do this reproduction in the DNA or making new cells. And we're transcribing this and translating. It's a translation process where you're using the proteins. And then we're, but then all of a sudden you run out of methionine. Mm -hmm. Well, I got plenty of tryptophan, but you didn't have enough of the other plant source. And so what you're doing is you're guessing, you're guessing how much you need. And so, and how much do you need? You'll say, well, we should be able to figure that out. No, we can't because your life is different than mine. What if you just ran a mile? You need to do a lot of cellular, you need to replace the cells that you just ruined because muscle cells break down when you're running. You're going to have to replace those muscle cells. Well, if I didn't run the mile, well, I don't have to replace those. So, you know, and you'll say, well, maybe, well, I'll figure it out for just when I run. Well, what about if you're on a menstrual cycle? What if you're in menopause? What if you were under stress? What if you were outside and you were breathing in polluted air? What if you happen to drink some polluted water? What if you breathe somebody's perfume? The variables are vast and unlimited. What about the gravitational pull of the moon at a certain time of the month? By the way, that changes what's happening in the cells. I mean, there are so many environmental factors that are affecting this. We will never be able to be able to calculate, okay, I need exactly half a cup of rice and half a cup of beans at this moment because that's going to give me the exact number of complete proteins. And that's why our vegetarians, the number one complaint, I've been doing this job for 30 years now, my number one complaint that I have from the vegetarian is always the same. It's always the same. I'm always so tired. When I first started this diet, I had energy. I mean, they're doing a lot of good things, so you're feeling better. But as you continue in that diet, you say, I'm just always so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. I'm so tired. Welcome to the world of not having enough complete proteins. You are missing those nine essential amino acids. Then when a person starts eating complete proteins, vegetarians specifically, they'll say, I can't believe it. I, I have energy for the first time in years. Yeah. We finally provided the essential amino acids that we need every millisecond of our life. It's not, we need them once a day, every millisecond. If we do not have those amino acids present, we will not be making new cells. Was a whole way ran out of methionine. Whoops, sorry guys, stop production of methionine, shut down the factory. Right. Yeah, there's something called LIA, which is low energy availability. It's related to athletes who don't fuel properly, but you could really relate it to skinny culture, which all of these women are underfueling their body. So let's just say I need at my base level, I need fifteen hundred calories a day to just run everything, right? And then they try to drop under it to lose weight. So then they have low energy availability because their body is just kind of scrounging for what it can to maintain operations, right? Just bare minimal operations. So you have a lot of women running around with this low energy availability. And then in the desire to lose weight, then they'll start working out and under calorie in their body. And the energy just continues to drop because the body doesn't have enough fuel to properly function for athletes, they'll lose their period. There's a lot of side effects. I was reading somewhere that 
it's maddening for some women, but that even the hypothalamus will downregulate the thyroid if it doesn't have enough protein. And then they'll end up with a hypothyroid and gain weight eating a thousand calories a day and they're losing and they're gaining weight because their body is storing and downregulating metabolism. So there's a lot of side effects to not fueling properly. And it's just rampant in our culture, both in diet ideologies, but also just in skinny culture. But I'm kind of getting off topic here a little bit. Yeah, so. But everything you said is absolutely correct. It's absolutely correct. And so it's like, yeah, you're destroying your body and then you wonder why you're so sick. But if you've been in this state for decades, it may be too late. Yeah, you know? I do wonder about that. What is the point of no return under fueling the body and, and over and taxing it, asking too much of it, like you were just saying, okay, that's genetic. So let's talk about the epigenetic factor and what, so my mom and dad got together. They had me, my genetic factor is my mom and dad, but it's also ancestral, right? It's from their parents and whatever. So here I am. Thankfully I was born healthy and now I go off into the world and create a lifestyle and a diet. How, how do these factors play into this genetic conversation? Well, in this translational process, so we have all the proteins, you know, we follow the code of the DNA, we put them together in the right order and they have formed a cell. There's something called post-translational modifications that can be made to the cell. Mm. Like there's a certain, if you have a lot of glucose, a lot of sugar in the bloodstream, that will actually change when that protein starts to fold and put together, it changes how it folds. Hmm. So then now it's not really in the right shape to do the job that it was meant to do. Hmm. And it's called an epigenetic change. These are these post-translational modifications are epigenetic changes, or you are exposed to you know, some type of chemical, you know, fertilizer or some type of chemical, you know, in your environment, or you are a smoker. Oh boy, does that make some epigenetic changes. And so perfume is definitely going to create epigenetic changes. And so it's, yes, you, you didn't damage the DNA. The DNA is okay. You didn't damage the DNA in an epigenetic change. What you did is when the protein was folding and after we got all the, the long string and it's all folding up, then you have, there's ubiquitization, there's relationation, there's the glycosation. There's so many, 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 many different ways to modify that new cell, that, that, that new protein that was made. And the cells are made of several proteins. I mean, this is where we're making it like it's one big cell, but they're made of small little proteins, like mitochondria, and like I said, you know, we've got all these other parts that that are comprising the cell. They're called organelles. And so then you can have changes. And then you are not functioning as well as you could. So, okay, so let's say a person is eating really well, taking care of themselves, but they're injecting Botox into their face. How would that, and do we know or is it random how that epigenetic change in the, in the cell structure would affect their health over time? It's not random like right. it is on the DNA. Okay. It will destroy the cell over time. Okay. It will, it will not fold correctly or it will change just slightly. I'm just talking, it just has to be a little shift. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden the active site 
scan to track the active sites. So we're doing this by electronic attraction and repulsion from these, these charges that every single, every single element carries. Mm-hmm. It carries either positive, negative charges, depending on the, 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 the nucleus and then the electrons that circle around it. And so then it's not quite lined up. The key is just a little bit, got a little burr on one edge. And so now the key won't turn the lock anymore. And so that cell can't react the way it's supposed to anymore. And so then you go without that cell's job. And so you have a deficiency. You're, you're not able to, to handle the methylization anymore of, you know, all the B, the B vitamins. That's that be genetic. I say, oh, I have a DNA that pre-produces. No, it can be turned on and off by epigenetics. And it's the translational process that's doing this. So that's MTHFR. Isn't a genetic mutation, it's an epigenetic mutation. Yes. Well, you can say, well, I have the genes that set me up for that. Well, so it's the the BRCA gene for the breast cancer. And so women have their breasts removed and take all the way. It's just like, no, it doesn't have to be activated. It doesn't have to, this is going to happen in in the post-translational modifications. Mm -hmm. And so if you are not exposing yourself to perfumes and cigarette smoke and chemicals and, and because we also have things that are going to be occurring in our food. If we have rancid fats and, you know, this can create problems too. If we have too much sugar, that will create a problem too. When you have a lot of glucose in the bloodstream, you are going to have a problem with glycosylation. Mm -hmm. And so that's a post-translational modification. And so then that cell doesn't form exactly the way it should because it's got to be exact, exact to, I mean, so that every single charge lines up so that we can react. It won't be able to do it. So it doesn't do the job. So now we say, oh, you see, I can't handle this or that. Yeah, because I have MTHFR. And when I was sick before I met you, we were really traveling down all of these paths. I had candida, which makes a lot of sense because my immune system was wrecked and you know, I'd done antibiotics. And so you set up these stories that kind of create these outcomes unknowingly, right? They tested me for MTHFR, and once they saw that I had one of the mutations, they then put me on all of these methylated vitamins, and I felt ill. I felt really ill on all the methylated vitamins. So just because a person has the genetic factor for MTHFR doesn't mean it's been expressed. Is that what exactly. I'm saying? Okay. Exactly. It doesn't mean that it's expressed. Okay. So you can walk around with that potential, but never pull the trigger unless... Okay. Right. Okay. Okay. You can walk around with it and never have it. You can walk around with the BRCA genes all your life and never get breast cancer. So if you have the MTHFR gene, and that's the big one right now, and as soon as you have it, whether it's active or not, they immediately want to put you on methylated vitamins. For me, it made me feel really sick and I stopped. But what are, is, could something like that actually trigger that pathway? Could that be a genetic, like an epigenetic trigger taking a methylated vitamin when you don't need it? Yes, absolutely. It's another another trigger for post-translational modification because you have flooded your body with a lot of these B vitamins that you really don't need. And see, what we're doing is you're addressing symptoms again. We're always addressing symptoms, right. possible symptoms, because you have this particular, you have this gene. It doesn't mean that it's activated. And so then we just make these guesses. We are so, we're infantile as far as our knowledge in this. And so we come in with our big brass and we know everything. 
And here, we're going to take these methylated vitamins, this, all these B vitamins, because we're going to fix this problem. And actually, you just be creating more. So what do you do? Just eat right. Take away all the things that could create as much as possible what we are eating, what we are breathing. And sometimes, you know, we're going to go someplace. You're going to be in the store. I mean, I had, I was in Madison this last, this week. And so I'm in a hotel room. You tell them, hey, I don't want any perfumes. I want non-smoking. You know, tell them all that. And you walk in, of course, it stinks to high heaven like perfume. Okay. That's the only room they had available. I have to stay there that night. What am I going to do? Go out and stand on the street? It's freezing cold. You know, I'm not going to do that. So you stay there and you know that, okay, this is going to be the cells that are undergoing change right now that I am breathing in the stink of this perfume. And we're, we're surrounded by it all the time. You go sit down in the church pew and then some lady sits down next to you. It's like, oh no, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? And you try to get up and politely just say, well, I have to go to the bathroom and you never come back and sit in that seat next to her. I mean, it happens all the time. But as long as we are, it's those are occasional exposures. This is not your life because most people are wearing perfume 24 7, seven days a week, 52 weeks a year. So, because I think they yeah. need the deodorant or whatever scented shampoo you got it, whatever it is. Yeah, I sense my illness. I have a very physical response to gas, perfumes, and I actually start getting angry and irrational. And I'm curious, that physical response that started when I got sick, that's obviously not a normal response. A normal person would be like, oh, this stinks. This isn't great. Like my husband, for example, I'll watch him. We're in the same situation. And he doesn't like it, but he's fine. I'm sweating. <laughs> what is happening? <laughs> I don't think I can, I don't think I can, my, I don't think my liver can handle that. That load. And what's happening is that the liver is a passive organ. It is filtering the perfume, the gas fumes, whatever it is. It's filtering it out of your bloodstream, depositing it in your bile. Once it's in your bile, it's out of your bloodstream. You're not going to have the response. But because the liver is passive, it's only going to filter your blood as quickly as the blood passes through the liver. Right. What if we need to get the blood to go faster through the liver? Because you're exposed to this nasty thing that is going to make you ill. And so how do you get your blood to go more quickly through your liver? How? You have to increase the blood pressure. If you increase blood pressure, then it will fly at faster rates through your liver. How can you create a blood pressure increase? Well, you're going to have to shrink all your little vessels, all your arteries, all your veins, all your capillaries. Everything's going to have to get smaller. If they get smaller, not that they're cut off, they just get smaller. You have the same amount of fluid, the same amount of blood is flowing, but now it's flowing through smaller spaces. What does that do? That increases the pressure. So then it's flying through the liver so we can get that stuff cleaned out now. Well, what is what hormone is going to make you have vasoconstriction? That means that getting all the small blood vessels called adrenaline, you are having a fight and flight reaction. You had a big adrenaline release when you were breathing in the cologne from the Uber driver and the gas fumes when you rolled the window down. And, you know, so that's a fight and flight reaction. And I, by the way, have the same reaction as you do, unique. I get angry and I have to, I have to put a lid on it because these are physiological happenings within the human body. And how right. do you fix that? 
Are we as legislators? By the way, I got elected. I'm a now a state legislator. Congratulations. Yes. So as a legislator, am I supposed to say, thou shalt not eat sugar? Do you think that's going to pass? No sugar. We're going to outlaw sugar. We're going to outlaw, you know, smoking cigarettes. They are huge epigenetic changers. Massive. Terrible for your health. But then we also have to let people be who they want to. If they want to destroy their health, then you got to let them destroy their health. You so what are know. the biggest offenders when it comes to negative epigenetic? Because I know there's positive ways to affect our genetics, right? By eating well, you're empowering healthy epigenetic expression. But what are some of the biggest offenders for disease and diet and lifestyle? I heard you say perfumes. Those would be mm-hmm. nuclear receptors, what you called it earlier. Yeah, they are nuclear receptors. Is it alcohol? Alcohol, sugar, perfume, chemicals. And so we're talking about, you know, the outgassing of the new carpet that you got in your apartment. Or, you know, you wanted to put the polyurethane coating so that it's this nice, you know, coating on top of the varnish. The varnish, the polyurethane. You know, it's it's all of these these chemicals that we're inputting. It's air pollution. That's why, you know, we have a lot of regulations. You got to clean up smokestacks, you know, and what's going up. So, I mean, these are the most common things. Caffeine. So because that's increasing our adrenaline production and it itself is, you know, it's creating a hormone release. And you need to understand hormones are all nuclear receptors, too, because they're so tiny. So estrogen is a nuclear receptor. You will find it on the DNA that it's disrupted the DNA. And also hormones are carcinogenic, which is what people don't understand is that we have a delicate system inside of us that is constantly balancing the checks and balances of hormones without any stimulants. But then when you come in with a stimulant and you're affecting change and a disruption in the system, that disruption, I have people ask, Unique, why is there so much breast cancer? It's this disruption in the system and hormones are carcinogenic when disrupted, correct? Absolutely. Absolutely. They cross right through the cell membrane. They go right through the nuclear envelope and they attach onto the DNA and they swap it. Now we have lots and lots of DNA. And so it depends where it attaches. And if it attaches in some part of the DNA that really is not controlling anything important, fine. But what if it's on a, what if it's on the P53 gene? The P53 gene is what goes through and makes sure that we stop the production of a cell that is out of control and making itself and and it's not it's not a cell that will do a job because it's been altered but you have the p53 gene that will go in there and clean it up and the majority of cancers and it's i think it's a little over 50 percent. don't quote me on that it's pretty close a little over 50 percent of cancers the p53 gene if you check it it's been disrupted it's mutated well imagine that p53 protects us from tumor growth mm-hmm. is our tumor growth deterrent well, we, you know, and, and it, that is random. The epigenetic is not. The DNA damage is random, just where it happened to hit today. So if you're doing things that are damaging the cells, whether it's alcohol, cigarette smoke, drugs, perfume, perfume sounds like caffeine plays a role. Even though it's really not talked about in our culture at all, it's caffeine is really celebrated. I started That's working with celebrated. <laughs> yeah, it's celebrated. And as I, I was working with a woman recently with high liver enzymes, and the doctor wanted her drinking three cups of coffee a day. 
So it's really not talked about that there's these other possible, um, the underbelly of coffee, let's just say, which is the increase of adrenaline, which is an increase ultimately of affecting the endocrine system and hormone factors. And then if you're affecting hormone factors, how is that affecting estrogen and, and progesterone and estradiol one and two? And, and then if you're doing that, then you're playing this game of Russian roulette with these carcinogens. So I find it really interesting that something can be so good for us can also have the other side, which can be so bad for us. It's too many. It's too yeah. much. Yeah. It's flooding the system, which that answers my coffee question I had. And then the other question I had was, so deficiencies are a big conversation in our culture as well. And everybody I know is on a vitamin D supplement because everybody's deficient. So you're not just playing with a nutrient, you're playing with a hormone factor, right? So vitamin D is a hormone, right? It's so it was classified as a vitamin when it was first discovered, but it's because we didn't know enough. So they just label it vitamin D. It is a hormone. It is a nuclear receptor. So, so it can, can also cause cancer in overabundance. Okay. And that is well documented in the literature. Mm -hmm. So it can cause cancer too. Well, I need a little bit so that I can, you know, form bones and, you know, do the, because vitamin D is helpful. It's mm -hmm. a hormone, just like any other hormone. Mm -hmm. And it's helpful. But if you get too much of it, then it's harmful. But yet we just have people taking tens of thousands of IUs of vitamin D per week. And it's just like, what are we doing all in the name of health? And what's interesting is I think there's this arrogance that we know better than our body. Sure, people live inside more than they ever did. They sit on their computers. They don't get outside and get sunshine. So there is this interesting room for the question of deficiency. But instead of encouraging everybody to get outside and get vitamin D from the sun, there's this real push to just buy it and get it so you can sit inside on your computer, which I'm sure leads to other health imbalances too by living inside on our computers. I work from home. I'm inside. I actually have to schedule time outside. You know, go outside, you need, get some sunshine. That's what you need. But the deficiencies are really the interesting question. And how do deficiencies, let's just say somebody has 20 like on their vitamin D test, they're showing up as a 20. I show up as a 25 all the time and they're panicked. They want me on vitamin D. Would you say 20 is deficient? 20 is normal. Okay. 20 is normal. See, the, the, the range they say it's from 30 to 100. Depends on where you go for your lab. But they'll say right. 30 to 100 or, you know, but 20 is normal. Actually, the large study that was done that came out, massive study that 12 is considered normal and fine. And so- we need to understand vitamin D has many functions, but one of its major functions is to protect you from skin cancer. Mm. The more sun you get, the more likely you're going to have skin cancer because you have the radiation from the sun, which disrupts the DNA. So vitamin D is protective for that. But what if you don't get a lot of sun? Then you have very little chance of getting skin cancer. So you don't need as much vitamin D. You know, we have made a big big deal out of this, you know, that vitamin D, everybody has to get it from sun, but the number of hours that you need from the sun is very, very tiny. Let's just stop calling it vitamin D and call it hormone D, you yes. know, hormone D. it's hormone D. I'm just curious now, what is the role of cannabinoids in our system? They use, they're used in cellular communication. They're used in our immune system. They are helping chemical reactions happen. Mm -hmm. Okay. And if, they, if you can get hemp hearts and they don't have any cannabinoids in them, would you say that is a good source of protein if it is cannabinoid-free? 
just the hemp seeds that have no psychoactive components. Yeah, we have to look at that. We have to look at the THC that, you know, it doesn't have time. anything. It doesn't have anything in it. Like it's, it's, it's a void of THC, CBD and cannabinoids. It's literally just a hemp heart. Would that be an, I would have to look at it. Okay. I have to look at its chemical structure before okay. I bring that question. Cause I don't want to say, okay, I'm sorry, sounds fine, but I would really want to look at the chemical structure and see what, what reactions it's doing. Okay. So, and I am at the point where I'm just going to fire off a couple of Q and A's for you, unless you feel like there's anything else that we should cover in oh, no, just, the. Oh, go ahead. Okay. So, for people with bipolar disorders, I know this is probably a much longer conversation, and protein has something to do with it. But what would you say is going on there? And have you ever seen anybody on the Bean Protocol make strides in that department, or is there always a mood stabilizer that is needed? I have seen many people make strides forward without the use of mood stabilizers. Amazing. Oftentimes it depends on how severe they are in the bipolar. If they have support so that they will eat right because they tend to eat wrong and they don't have any self-control. And so they're into eating all the things they shouldn't eat, your sugars and the caffeine. And so then we're not going to see progress, but protein is absolutely critical in stabilizing this so that they never have another bipolar episode. Yeah. It's those big highs and lows, which are interesting. And, and I guess, so when you have seen somebody fully commit to the diet, does it take a while for them to, to balance so that they're not going through these? Minimum of three months. Minimum Um, of three months. Three months. Okay. And And if they're more of a severe case? It can take much longer. And the three months, you know, it depends on their compliancy and their exposure in those three months. And we have to take into stress because stress is playing. Stress is not an exposure to a chemical. It's a mental stress of, you know, my boss is, you know, is a narcissist and yelling at me all day and it's all about him. And so in a perfect world where there was no pollution, there's no water pollution, air pollution, no stress, it would be a really easy thing to heal in three months. Why three months? Because that's the, that is that is the endocrine system turnaround. That's the the cellular life cycle of the endocrine system, and it is your hormones that are controlling bipolar. That is a hormonally driven condition. So, in a perfect world where somebody isn't exposed to external stressors that are affecting the endocrine system, you could do three months if it was more severe, longer, and unknown. And is there a known amount saturation point for protein to help, or is it different for each? person that's at trace. Well, it, it, it's different because again, you know, you have so many factors coming in. Are you coming up on a menstrual cycle? Are you coming up on ovulation? Are you in menopause? Or, you know, did you have to walk further today because, you know, the, the, the driver had to drop you off here and you had to walk five, you know, extra blocks or, you know, there's so many other things coming in there. But as a general rule, people who have bipolar, you need to eat protein six times a day. A palm-sized portion, breakfast, lunch, and dinner, half palm-sized portion, complete proteins. I'm talking complete mm-hmm. proteins. Meats, mm-hmm. poultry, fish, and seafood. And you would do those half protein sizes, mid-morning, mid-afternoon, before you go to bed. Beautiful. And then is retinol safe for women who want to put it on their skin? Not necessarily. Okay. It will absorb. It will absorb through the skin. So retinol, you have to be careful because that you can overdose on that and it be, you can become toxic. I mean, you know, it can, it can be very bad for you. I'm going to throw some rapid fires. Microwave, safe or unsafe to heat food with? Safe. Okay, great. I mean, it's not safe. Yeah, I can go into the whole detail, but I'm going to wrap it up. Safe. 
<laughs> Safe. And cellulite. My understanding is that it, there it's a genetic thing, which is interesting or not. I'm curious what your thought. I, that was one of the questions from the community is how do we, is there anything I, we can do about genetic, cellulite? Genetic at all. Cellulite is something that we can easily, it's just a type of fat that's stored and we can just get rid of it by getting rid of the fat. So how do you do that? You have to eat your soluble fiber to be able mm. to pull out the bile. The bile is made out of these fats. Eventually it goes away. In a week. <laughs> right. It can take some time. Okay. Organ meats. People love to eat organ meats. What are your thoughts about that? Bad idea. Bad idea. The is it the vitamin A or is it the toxins? It's the toxins because okay. the most common thing that you're eating of organ meats is you're eating, you're eating the liver and the liver is the highest, most toxic organ in the human body. Mm. What is the quickest way to alleviate high blood pressure, obviously, other than eating a healthy diet? Is it eating a healthy diet? <laughs> eating a healthy diet. And, you know, you're taking away because if you eat sugar, it's going to go up. You do caffeine, it's going to go up. Take away all those things and you'll come down. Get rid of your caffeine. Get rid of your perfumes. It's just get rid of your sugar. And then you're going to be astounded at how fast your blood pressure comes down. It will blow you away. So, that. And root canals, safe or unsafe? Unsafe. Unsafe. Oh. unsafe. Okay. So what is the unsafe aspect of a root canal and should you just if you can should you are you saying you should just pull the tooth pull the tooth okay is it the infection from the roots that you're thinking of the infection from the roots and when you drill that out it's going to become infected again and again because they're going to fill it up with you know something whether you know it's a plastic resin or if you're you know you don't care about the mercury that's in these you know combination metals that they put in but there's going to be a time that there's going to get some food and get in there and mm -hmm. so and then also if you drill too deep you can awaken the balrog oh, <laughs> reference to the lord of the rings okay nice. if you drill too deep you may have some serious problems for the rest of your life so I have never had a root canal. I will never have a root canal. Pull the tooth. You say, well, what if it's a front tooth? Then get a partial. You don't, and I'm not, in, I'm not in favor of implants either. Well, what's a partial? It's a denture with one tooth hanging on it, and you put it in your mouth like you used to a retainer when you wore braces as a kid, and it fills in the hole in your smile. Mm. It's, it's simple. And then you don't have anything internally that's going to be setting you up for major problems. Okay. My tooth. Yeah. Um, okay. I'm taking that one in. When, <laughs> and I'm sure everybody else is as well. I'm just going to let that roll. And then if you've been exposed, say you had to sleep in a scented, uh, you know, hotel room, I had to take a ride with a stinky Uber driver. What can you do? Is it just pound the soluble fiber when you've had a toxic exposure? You have to capture the molecule first. You have to eat a good fat. So okay. you need a spoonful of peanut butter, not made with hydrogenated oils. You have to have a bit, you're going to have to have a place for the, this, this perfume to bind onto the fat. So it has okay. to be an unsaturated fat. Otherwise it's a saturated fat. It won't work. So a nut butter. And so I carry, you know, they have these little squeeze packs of peanut butter, all natural peanut butter. I have them with me all the time. So you just get one of those things out and you eat the tablespoon of peanut butter that's in that little package. You know, they have almond butter will work too. Cashew butter, all of those will work. Or you so hit that and then hit the soluble fiber. And then the soluble fiber. All right. So yeah, 20 minutes. Give it 20 minutes in between. I carry bottles of psyllium husk with me and I carry those little, 
hits of nut butter. And the next time I find myself in an angry cab ride, which doesn't happen mm-hmm. very often, but <laughs> eat the nut butter, wait 20 minutes, take your psyllium. Oh, that is, I'm, I'm writing that on my phone to remind myself because I do, I do have a mental emotional break in those situations where the calm collected person that I know suddenly is replaced with a very, a person who literally wants to open the car door and roll out. So, oh, why do gallbladder polyps appear? A polyp is a displaced or hyperplaced. It depends on the stage that it's in. It's a cell that has been mutated. The DNA is mutated. This is a precancerous cell. Mm-hmm. Polyps are precancerous, not cancer, mm-hmm. but this is a process that you would go if it keeps going and the DNA in that polyp is damaged again in the right place, it will become cancerous. So let's just say the person changes their diet, they're eating soluble fiber. Can a polyp resolve? Heal. It can. Oh, Absolutely. Beautiful. I have a question, and this is a question that's really interesting because before I got sick, I was getting these ganglion cysts in my wrist. What does it mean when the body is throwing up these cysts full of fluid anywhere in the body, whether it's a breast or an ovary or a wrist? Does it all mean the same thing? Is it all an overproduction? And is it always estrogen? No, a cyst is not necessarily a cyst in your wrist. It's just a fluid-filled cyst, and you can smash it, but it'll fill up again, and you'll get it again. But that cyst is forming because there's some type of damage there. Mm-hmm. So it's just a damaged cell. Okay. So we're trying to encapsulate it so that it won't, the damage won't spread. And so then you form a little cyst. It doesn't mean it's cancerous or not cancerous at all. So if it happens in an ovary, like ovarian, polycystic ovarian? That is hormonally driven. Okay. That's, That's always different. hormone. Cysts are just these formations of blisters. Basically, a cyst is a blister. Okay. So what's causing it? In the ovary, it is hormones. In your wrist, it's just some damage there hmm. to whatever. And whatever. in the breast? The cyst in, in the, the breast? breast that, that is hormonally driven. Mm. That's mm-hmm. hormonally driven. But not in your wrist. Okay. So the wrist is more function because I was an avid golfer at the time. But, but it's a function, whatever you were doing. I don't know what you were doing, but you're moving your wrists a lot. <laughs> yeah. And then the one either in the breast or in the ovaries, that would be hormonal. It's hormone. Amazing. Karen, you, as always, you are such a pleasure and a wealth of information. And I know how much everybody in my community gets from these conversations. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for your time today, your wisdom and your humor. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right. Have a good day. You too. Well, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. And I hope you learned a lot. I hope it helps guide you in your life in making choices that empower your best health. Because I can tell you one thing, a person who is unwell, they only want one thing to be well. So if you are listening to this and you are healthy, take good care of your health. We never know when a choice is going to push our body over the edge. We are both resilient and delicate all at the same time. And this has never been more true than for me when I went through my illness. I was what I thought to be. I looked amazing. I felt amazing. I was trail running and just I was on top of the world as far as my health went and, you know, stomach issues, but I looked great and I felt great besides my stomach issues. So, you know, and there I was 
not long after that moment where I felt the best I'd ever felt, I was down at the bottom of the barrel. So I look back and I can see now the thread of choices. I was definitely going out too much, definitely drinking too much, definitely not paying attention to my nutrition like I could have been. No regrets. I know what I know now because of what I didn't know then, right? So take care of your beautiful selves. And I hope you are doing well wherever you are in this beautiful world. If you are enjoying the podcast, please rate and review it. It helps others find it. 